412, right? Just want to make sure. No, I'm not going to go that long. I know you're like, oh, no. Don't freak out. There's no rush. I'm not, I, I don't, preach. I try not to preach long because uh, I want you guys to really enjoy yourself. You know, one of the good things about America, well, first of all, before I even get into that, what a, this is worship God. But what a, I, I'll tell you, this is holy ground. So I almost feel like saying, you know what, I don't need to preach. This is an altar call. But the truth is, you know, one of the greatest things is, you know, you should tell each other how much you appreciate each other. Shouldn't have to be at a marriage retreat, but it should be something you do daily. Or why not? You know. And so let's just worship God. I think it's holy ground. Father God, we thank you. good for that because that's the idea i'm going even though you're not perfect in the in this atmosphere god can do something <clears throat> god can redeem some things god can heal some hurts that have been there for a long time and i'm telling you there's no one that can heal a wound like jesus and i'm hoping that god will begin to minister this morning and i told you i was going to preach part two of that sermon because there's such a big revelation in this and so before i read genesis 2 5 that's the text i read last night i was reading a story about a uh, you know, I, first of all, let me get. Some, I got to get some uh, kind of like demographics here. Uh, how many of you have young children, like young kids, under like those young? Raise your hand. Great. How many of you have teenagers? Raise your hand. Wow. Okay. And how many of you have grandchildren? Man, a lot more than I thought, man. Great grandchildren? No. Okay. All right. I don't have no great grandchildren, but. I do have grandchildren, so at least I know who I'm speaking to, because I am going to go along the lines of having children, having grandchildren, and ministry, and having your family and your wife and all that. Listen, I, I've done it all in the sense of raising my children. They're all out of the house. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, <laughs> I have grandchildren now that come over that I'm able to take them to church. It is a wonderful thing. So let's read. Before I read about it, I want to share the story about it grandmother who just bought a brand new car and she bought this car and it was black friday shopping it's a true story this is not i read this okay and so she just bought this new car and she took her granddaughter with her and it was so funny and it was landry so she gets a little fender bender so he tells her little granddaughter landry don't tell papa that we got an accident okay she said okay she parks in the garage and goes and she sees her husband go into the garage look and go down to his man cave and so she goes to her granddaughter landry what did you tell papa did you tell him we got in a wreck and she says no i did not tell him anything all i said i told him three times whatever you do don't look in the garage <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love kids man i've had that same story happen many times i've raised these kids i would tell them all the time hey uh, i would take some of my younger ones i'd say okay i'm gonna go take you out to eat don't tell your brothers you don't ever tell a sibling, don't tell your brothers, because the first thing they're going to do is tell their brothers. I've done this with my grandchildren, and they're all little narcs. They narc me out all the time. <laughs> don't tell your dad, but they tell their dad. So anyways, I love children. I, like I said, I've raised nine children, and I have seven grandchildren. And I know I'm a, 
believe in God for much more. Yes, my cup runneth over, and I understand that, and I'm very blessed in saying that. And I can tell you all the things about my wife, but again, she is faithful. And you'll see this as I minister this sermon. Genesis 2, 5, our main text is this. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth. There was no man to till the ground. I want to go with the sermon. I said I was going to call it the hand of the Father, but I want to call it the hand of the parent. And I believe God will begin to speak to us. Let's begin to pray. Father God, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Help me to minister, Lord God, to these soft hearts, Lord God. Men and wound relationships, Father God. Begin to pour out your presence. Let your Holy Spirit begin to touch us, Lord God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The hand of man. And I'm just going to reiterate kind of what I talked about last night. I know we had some good food last night. So, so I was kind of like, man, I shouldn't eat that much. But I, I did. And I want to let you know what we were talking about last night is that God made it that in God's creation, that God's creation will respond, respond to man's hand. When a man will begin to touch God's creation, it responds. Last night, I dealt with the idea of a wife that a wife will respond when a husband has his hand on upon his wife, that she will respond to him with fruitfulness, with all those things of blessing and mercy, but that does not go. It goes further than that. You know, the reality, you can go into the beginning of time, laying of hands was something that was talked about throughout history. We can go back to the Old Testament and to the New Testament, and I, I just want to kind of share some little thoughts of that. You know, the, the idea to lay the hand on someone is to transmit something. In other words, it caused something to pass from one, from someone to another. In the Old Testament, the person laying the hands many times was to transmit a spiritual blessing or an authority. And so they were whom they would lay the hands upon, that person would have authority. Another, what it meant it was a spiritual blessing or giving to someone as when they lay their hands on them or giving person a, a task. You know, one of the things we do as pastors and when we're sending out a man, we lay our hands on them. That's not just for show. We're believing that there is a transfer. There's something transmitted, authority, power, all that that pastor has. He is transmitting that to his, his disciple. We believe in that. That's the idea. When Pastor Mitchell sent out his first men, he laid hands upon them. And you remember there in Prescott Conference, here's Pastor Mitchell laying his hand upon Greg Mitchell. And what he was believing, that he was transmitting authority, all those things to his disciple, to his son. When I got sent out, Pastor Ruby laid his hands upon me. When he laid his hands upon me, he was transferring something that did not belong to him. It was a mantle, it was an authority, and it came upon me. As much as Pastor Warner laid his hands upon Pastor Ruby, that is transpired. And I'm telling you, that's what God, there's something spiritual about laying of hands. Think about Moses in the Old Testament, Numbers 27, 18. There's Moses, and he's about to lay his hands upon Joshua. And it says in 18, Take Joshua, the son, of, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom the Spirit lay your hand on him, set before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him. Think about that. And then it goes down to Deuteronomy 34, 9. It says that now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the Spirit of wisdom from Moses had laid his hands on him. And look what happens after that. Then the children of Israel heeded him. He did as the Lord had commanded Moses. You see that? There is a, a spiritual transaction. When there is a man who lays his hand upon another man, there is a spiritual transaction from that man 
to that man. That's what we believe in. That's Old Testament. That's Jacob where he's there. And he understood this. He's going to lay his hands on his grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh. And here's Joseph. He's taking the sons and he's positioning the sons in the right direction. So he knows that Manasseh is the older. And so he's making sure he positions Manasseh on Jacob's right hand. And then he positions Ephraim on his left hand because he's the younger. But as he does that, what happens? Uh, Jacob goes and does this. This is a crisscross. And he's trying to move his hands. And he says, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. I want the blessing of the favor is going to fall upon Ephraim. And we know that there's something spiritual about a laying of hands. You have King Joash and Elisha. Here's Elisha. He's old in his age. The Bible says King Joash comes to him. I need you to help me with the Syrians. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 16, he says, okay, give me your bow and arrow. And he says to them, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And look what it says. Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. There it again. He was giving him something spiritual. So when he shoots the arrow, he's supposed to strike the ground, but he only struck it three times. You should have struck it seven times. You would have completely eradicated the Syrians. And, he, and I want you to understand something. What he was trying to transmit to Joash was wisdom and authority to equip him to defeat his enemies. See, there's something happening when we pray for people. We lay hands. In the New Testament, it's those that got filled with the Holy Spirit. When they had to send out the apostles. They laid their hands upon them. When we heal the sick, we lay our hands upon them. When we cast out demons, we lay our hands upon them. There is something supernatural. Listen, I'm not talking about the carnal man that does not have Jesus. I'm talking about a man and woman that has Jesus Christ. There is power in your hand. Now, I want you to understand something. Do you see this? Baptism of the Holy Spirit, all that is there. But why is it we understand that spiritually, but we don't transfer that to our family? Why don't we think that makes the same? Sometimes we separate ministry and family thinking that they're separate when they're all, they're all together. You can't separate them. This is why we send out couples. Why? Because it's not just the man we're sending out. We're sending out the woman. That the wife is just as important as the husband. And listen, your kids are just as important to that family. All of you are important. Don't ever think for a moment that what you're doing for God is an accident. It's all been planned by God. He has his hand upon you. If you've gotten saved, and what a powerful testimony. You guys are miracles more than you know. I'm always so blessed to hear testimonies of the power of God. Uh, people that have been shacking up and they come to church, the first thing they want to do, God deals with them and they get married. What a wonderful thing that you're teaching. What a wonderful thing that's happening in your lives. And I'm telling you something, but don't think for a moment that God doesn't see that and that God is not involved in that. And so I want to look at this now. If it matters that we lay hands on the sick and that we cast out demons and we lay hands on our pastors to send them out, what about our families? What can we do? So how are you using your hands? What can we do? Father and mother, what can we do with our hands? So the first thing I want to look at is three. The first one is the hand that spanks and spares. Let me say that again. The hand that spanks and spares. See, the imagery I want you to understand is that, you know, your kids, I'm going to say something. It's like having a rope tied around them. It is our responsibility. Remember I talked about that, that you and I are supposed to be good stewards 
Your children are not your own. You're called to be a steward as much as that's to your wife. You're called to steward your children. In other words, they're your responsibility. God has placed them in your hands. He said, these are your kids. This is your wife. This is your uh, family. I'm giving you responsibility for them. You must take care of it. So when you start looking at your family that way, you start looking at life differently. It's like, it's not mine to treat whatever I like. It's not mine. I'm called to be a steward. I'm called to take care of what God has stewarded in my hands. And when you start looking that, we'll begin to help you. See, you're going to have to have a hand that spanks. And what I mean by that, you got to discipline your kids. You want little jerks? <laughs> Don't spank your kids. You met that little jerk? I just saw a little jerk uh, here at the <laughs> And I thought to myself, that kid needs a spanking. Proverbs 22 6 says, Train up the child the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 23 11. I'm sorry, 13. It says, uh, Do not withhold correction from your child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. See, sometimes what we think is spanking or discipline is just something as, oh, I, I don't believe in that. I just put them in timeout. Listen, spanking or disciplining your children, especially when they're small, is spiritual. Did you know that? What are you saying, Pastor? Especially when a father or a mother will uh, pretty much discipline their children and if they don't discipline their children. It's a spiritual thing. Don't ever think for a moment, even if you have grandchildren. You know, I had to spank my grandchild. And do I like it? No. But I know that I have to begin to do something. Because why is it spiritual? The Bible tells us. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Your children are foolish as much as you and I can be. But it's bound up in the child. In other words, there's a spiritual dimension to your child that they're foolish. And I've thought about this many times. I remember I was talking to uh, Pastor Barreto. He came to revival with us. And he was giving words to people. And this is after service. I'm helping him pray for people. And this guy is reading people's mail. He had one gentleman come up there. He has his kid. And I know this parent. I know this kid. I've seen this kid tell his dad, come on, we got to go. And he's like this small. Let's get out of here. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. Oh, Jesus. And I'm like, you got to believe. I'm kidding. And so he's telling me, and this kid's so angry. And Pastor Barreto is able to see. And he said, look, this is what the problem is. But this man is totally oblivious, oblivious to it because he won't spank his son. And I said, the reason why your son is full of anger, I wanted to say, is because you don't spank him. You don't discipline him. You let him talk to anybody the way you talk. You never correct him. You never bring him. Because correction is guiding. It's shepherding. It's bringing people. As a pastor, you have to spank your disciples once in a while. Not physically. <laughs> but you have to correct them. You have to begin to adjust them. Many times, as Pastor Ruby is about this small, and many times he's got in my face, and it's like a father speaking to a son. My, you know, Pastor always says, oh, I know all the stories, you know, I was never that way. Yeah, I remember, man, Pastor rebuking me many times. I said, Pastor, yeah, yeah, you did say that. And he said, no, I didn't know. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but all those things he did was helping me become the man of God I needed to be. I needed a pastor. I needed a man to speak into my life. As much as your children need someone to speak into their life to guide and direct them. 
Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews that God disciplines the ones he loves. He loves you. He disciplines you. When you're acting whacked out, whacked, all whacked out, he's going to bring you back by a little, God will give you a little spank once in a while when you're acting up. Have you ever been spanked in a service where the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon you? And listen, I'm going to say something here. And I always say this to folks. I want you to understand something. The Holy Spirit will never condemn you. It will never guilt you, but it will convict you. It will discipline you. It will bring you to make it right. The Holy Spirit will never discourage you. I want you to understand that. When you get discouraged, you've got to ask yourself, is this from the Holy Spirit or from the devil? The devil will discourage. The devil will condemn, but the Holy Spirit will never. And so the Holy Spirit will convict because he loves you. He wants to help you. And so we have to understand that you and I and our children have foolishness in them. And your job as a parent to say, this is my responsibility. You don't escape from that responsibility. You say, I'm going to spank my son or my daughter to bring them in correction. Even when they're teenagers, you still have to correct them. You don't allow them to do whatever they want. You're there to help them. One of the worst things you can do is just to believe that your children are always telling you the truth. Let me say that again. I know you think your child is the most, the sweetest child in the whole world. But I'm telling you right now, you better know who your child is. People tell you something about your kid. They used to tell me all the time, well, you know who your child is? I said, yeah, he probably did. You know, I know him. And I would get after him. I wouldn't go stick up for him. One of the worst things you do, listen, I understand you got to stick up for your kids. But when you're always sticking up for your kids, when they're not good, you're not helping them. You're not teaching them anything. I know Jordan Peterson in his book, I'm not a big Jordan Peterson guy, but I like what he did say. He says, don't let your children do anything that would make you dislike them. Let me say that again. Don't let your children do anything that make you dislike them. If you see your son or your daughter acting like a little jerk, you gotta say something. Because they're gonna be big jerks. <clears throat> That's just the way it is. You ever met someone and say, man, what is wrong with this guy? That's the person that never got corrected. Never was told anything. Never said, hey, you can't act like that. Can't scream and whine. Can't grumble all the time. What are you doing? You know, and I begin to think it's because it's a hen that won't spank. I remember one of the time I was in church and one of my disciples and his son is maybe two years old. And he's still like, they're sitting on a chair and he's slapping. I'm preaching. And he slashes that, pa. I was like, oh, snap, right? And I tell him afterwards, hey, man, can't let your son slap you. Well, you know, I said, no, once you do that, he's crossed the line. You need to. And I usually don't do that, but I was like, this is over the top, man. I'm trying to help you, bro. You can't let your son do that to you because he'll slap you when he's 16. And they only understand that is when they're little, you guide them and direct them. You begin to shepherd them in the right place. The second part of that is that you need to spare. Your kids don't have to be spanked for everything. There is a balance. You know, I, I've raised nine kids, right? I feel, I feel bad for my son's Eric. You know why? Because he was a prototype. I spanked him for everything. You know, my son, but thank God for him. You know, he laughs about it to this day. He comes to dad, he spanked us for everything. And they all joke, all my kids are laughing at the table. Remember when he spanked us and he spanked for me? And they just talk about all the times I whooped their butt. And they think it's funny, but none of them have a resentment towards me or a hatred. 
they appreciate that I actually brought kids. They'll look at kids and say, oh, mm, my, my parents would never would have put up with that. See, God isn't God of severity as much as he's a God of goodness. Yes, God disciplines, but God also gives grace. In other words, he gives slack. You ever seen a rope? Sometimes you got to give your kids a little slack. Put a rope around them, you let them go. But some of them, you know, sometimes you can choke a kid. You keep them tight. On a tight I keep my kids on a tight leash. That's not necessarily good. You've got to allow your kids to make mistakes and fail. They can't, they're not going to make the best decisions that time. We're not called to be dictators. We're called to be shepherds, yes. to be stewards, that we do this. I remember Dee Dee many years ago, she, uh, she got for Raven, my daughter, right? And if she was my first, probably would have been our last. Amen. And <laughs> she was crazy. And so one thing, she was a wildcat, man. She just run around everywhere, and I'd spank her all the time. And uh, one day she got me this, she brings this to me, and it's an Elmo thing, right? But it's a leash. I said, my daughter's not a dog. But there's one of these harnesses that you put around it and you could hold on to your kids. I said, I'm not going to do that. So I took her to the zoo. I said, give me that leash. <laughs> and pulled her back here and there. <laughs> See, the thing is, but I've learned over the years of having kids and lots of them, that you're going to make mistakes, right? Because sometimes you can be too hard or you can be too soft. You can give your kids way too much slack that they'll choke themselves with that. But then you can give them no slack and you still choke them. The, 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 the key is to find the balance. Let me, and you're going to say, well, Pastor, what's the balance? Well, how can I find it? That's something you're going to take time to figure out. Listen, the older I've gotten, I, I have gotten softer. You know, your kids can smell, smell fear. You know what I mean? They know who the weaker one is, right? My kids knew that. But we were, but I'll go more into something on that. But I would say one thing, my grandkids, they know who the weaker one is. I'm the softy. <laughs> they know that. They know that Meemaw is not the softy. Pawpaw is the softy. They'll come to me, and they'll come give me. And Grandpa, they just look at me, and I'm, I'm opening the little candy for them. I guess, so. <laughs> tell me, Again, I say, hey, man, you can't be giving it to me, man. It's going to be hard for me to deny them. But there's such a thing about raising kids and beginning to have a hand that spares and also have a hand that pretty much says what? I'm going to spank this child. But you got to be careful with favoritism when spanking and disciplining your children. Because there is, a, there is the favorite, right? Don't look at me like that, guys. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and, you, you, and, and as soon as I said that, you know which one I was talking about. <laughs> Listen, there's all my kids, I love them all equally, right? But the truth is, you got to allow not to allow them to feel that there's one that's favored. You know, a lot of times people get mad about, you know, Joseph, right, being the favorite amongst Jacob. But if you read the Bible very carefully, it says he had Joseph and Benjamin in his older age. Listen, I'm a grandpa, and my, my children get mad because I spend a little bit more, I love my grandchildren. It's just like, whatever, you guys, are, I treated you the same way. The only difference is they're my grandchildren, I get to spoil them. That's the only difference. But you have to be careful that you don't show favoritism. I remember a story many years ago. There was a woman that was pretty much who had twin daughters. And she happened to be home with her, with her, with her, with her mother. The other sister that she favored left the house. So the one that was not favored was in the other room making noise. So the mother says these words, darling, is that you? And her daughter said, no. And she realized 
that she was showing favoritism to the woman's kids. And it ripped this mother's heart out that she repented and made sure that she would never show favoritism towards the kids. This also goes with mixed families. I know that some of you here, you've been married, but I'm pretty sure some of the kids that you're raising are not your biological kids. One of the hardest things that raising kids that are not your biological is that you feel that there's a barrier between them and you. And so, let me say something here. I thank God that I've been able to raise uh, one of my sons, who is Zarek, is my oldest. He's not my biological son, but I've always treated him like mine. I can tell you that. But by experience over the years, uh, knowing that he had a biological father that wanted to spend time with him, so he would go gone, he would go spend time with him, and then he would come back. But I spent much time with my son, but I made it a point never to talk bad about his father, never to say anything negative about him, because I knew that this would transpire years down the road if I said anything. And I always made it a point to love my son, never letting him feel a barrier between me and him. You know, one of the most wonderful things in my 25-year uh, anniversary, he stood up and said, I just want to thank my dad because he never, and he actually told me this personally, you never let me feel like I was not your biological son. That I see you as my father. I see you as you love me because you spanked me, but you also showed me love. I thank God, my father, I know some of you have grown up in a heart, but I thank God for my biological father because my dad was a very hard man, but he never, never had a hard time showing me tender mercy and love. One of the things as a father, listen to me, you gotta tell your children that you love them. You gotta kiss them on the cheek and begin to embrace your children, especially as your sons. One of the things, my sons still come up to me, 30 years old come, give me a kiss on the cheek, I love you dad, because that's what my father shot me. I tell you right now, I had a mother that loved me, I had a father that loved me, and they, they weren't the best parents, but the one thing they did, they showed me love, showed me discipline, but they were also able to show me love and compassion. That's what you're called to do. So as we understand that idea of not sparing the rod or, and, and showing them mercy, the other thing we can do with our hand is that you need to have a steady hand. What do I mean by that? There's nothing like a father and mother that's stable. In other words, you're not up here and then you're down here. Bro, let me help you out. Your wife will strive when you're stable. When you're one day on fire for God, the next day you're, you're as cold as ice. You're aloof. You're out there. How are you doing? Oh, nothing. How are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> and you're not good. See, it's not good that husbands are like sometimes like women. Your wife can come up and down. As the, as, the, as the waves of the ocean come, she's like a ship, and she's going up and she's down. She's up and she's down. You know why? Because she's got a whole lot of things going on in her than you do, guy. She's got babies, she's got hormones, she's got estrogen, and all those things going on in her life. She's got to figure all that out with kids, and her mind is a thousand places, and you're this one-track mind. And I'm telling you right now, your wife is a ship, but you've got to be the anchor. Because one day, as the storms come in, she's going to be all over the place, and the fact is that you should still be there. The problem is when she's all over the place and you're with her in the ship and there you go. <laughs> Ain't no anger. <laughs> See, a lot of times I've seen over the years where I've seen husbands, they're just not steady. Steady. Steady Eddie. 
faithful. Even kill. Not, not up here. Oh, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Hallelujah. Next day. Oh, man, I don't know Jesus. I don't even know about Jesus. Either you're here or you're here. That's not what God wants. He wants you here. Even kill. Steady. Not over the place. You know, I've met guys with the guys that are all spiritual, but the next week, man, they're ready to, you know, smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer. I'm like, what? What happened? You were talking about Jesus, but now you're over here drinking a beer and vaping? I mean, what happened? The Bible says in James 1, 7, for let that, that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Are you stable, bro? Sis, are you stable? Even. See, a lot of times we don't think that we can make bad decisions with money. Some of you may have unstable money. And, and it's like you, you, you're like a crackhead. You get money, you, you'll spend it all. Well, that's unstable. Your kids will not thrive in unstableness. One thing my kids tell us, they always tell me, man, that, Dad, I thought we were rich. We were not rich. Nine kids? We weren't rich guys. <laughs> Bean and cheese tacos. Uh, uh, we go to McDonald's, get the, Mc, the, Mc, the, the McChicken and the double for one dollar. And you, you fed a lot of kids. We take them to Sam's. We had a good old time at Sam's. <laughs> Pizza and soda. That many kids. We, we, we made food stretch many times. We weren't poor, but I never allowed them to think that we were. They never thought that way. But many times I've seen people, they're unstable with money. They're not steady. Up here, down here. And I'm telling you, you're going to have to be careful that you begin to say, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be steady. Your kids, your wife, bro, needs you to be steady. I'm cold. I'm not cold. 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 That's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to go to prayer. And there you are. You get your phone going to prayer. I'm about to post it. I'm about to go to prayer. I'm going to lay hold of God. And you put your Bible and take pictures of it. Every day you're posting it. And about the second week, you stop posting because you stop praying and stop reading your Bible. Stable. Steady. Not here. Not here. Here. Day in and day out, you're grunting it out. And listen, bro, you can't afford to be neutral. You know what happens when you're a neutral? You go wherever the ground is. Put a car in neutral. If it's on a, if it's like this, it gets to roll back. So you can't be a neutral. You've got to be constantly engaged. You can't afford not to be engaged. You cannot afford not to be engaged in your marriage. You can't afford not to be engaged with your kids. You say, well, I'm just going to take a break. You know, I've been, I've been you, know, you know, I'm going to take a little time off. I'm going to go on a holiday, as the English say. I'm going to go on vacation. You can't afford to go on vacation. Every day is a battle to say, I'm going to say, steady. What's the third one? Third one is the hand that's in sync. In other words, the hand that's in partnership and they're in sync together. You know what that word in sync means? It's like you get your phone and some of you try to put your Bluetooth on, you put it on there, and you're trying to sync your phone to that Bluetooth. Well, your marriage should be in sync. You're on the same wavelength. You're not in separate, you're not in separate, you, you, you know, your wife can be going this way and you're going this way. And you're not in sync, guys. 
sync is that you're on the same page. And one of the things you have to do, you have to be on the same page of raging kids. Look at the Bible says, Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but willing to associate with people in low position. Don't be conceited. Philippians 2, 2. Fulfill my joy like being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. God is into harmony. You ever seen a, a guitar or a song service and somebody's out of tune? Right? Either vocally or, or instrumentally. And you go, man, that person's not on the same key. You've heard it, right? We all understand it. It's something that's actually universal. They say, hey, that's not off. You ever seen, if we came to this room and one of these pictures were off, and if this picture was crooked, you wouldn't be paying attention to me. You'd be thinking, hmm, why is that picture crooked? And you want to fix it. OCD comes to kick in. There's something within us that likes balance. So I'm going to say something here. Your kids, young and old, need to know that you are united front. So in other words, Kids can smell fear, like I said before. They know where the weaker vessel is, and not necessarily the woman's the weaker vessel. They go to the man because they know that he will be soft on them. One of the things I've learned over the years is my kids would come to me and I say, What did your mother say? I said, Me diverting because I don't know. I'm not there all day with them. I don't know what they've done. And I've learned over the years she told me something or they did something I didn't know about it. Ask your mother. And then she'll say, ask me. And then I have to say, okay, what are they, can they go? Because we want to be on the same page. <laughs> and raising kids, a lot of times I've seen where wives, moms, especially if they're not biologically theirs, you don't let them spank or discipline because they're yours. You're a mojito. You know, you don't want the, uh, well, they're not yours. Well, if you do that, you're making, you're putting the barrier between them and the father and vice versa. You're going to have to allow your father, the father or the mother to discipline and sometimes speak into lives that maybe not be their biological child. And you're going to have to understand that because if you don't do that, you start, you start causing a separation in your marriage. You know, a lot of problems would come. They would say, well, it's money, money, and kids. And guess what? Your problems even get worse when they become teenagers because they become bigger kids with bigger problems, bigger attitudes. And one of the worst things you can do is begin to take their side in front of the kids. Ah, one of the things I've learned over the years, I thank God that me and my wife never argued in front of the children. Now, we get mad at each other. She gave me the eye. I already knew I was in trouble. But... I said, well, we're not going to do this in front of the kids. But one of the worst things you can do, sis, is disrespect your husband in front of your child, especially the sons. Belittle him. Make fun of him. And you do stuff like that. You have no idea what you're doing to your son or your daughter. And it actually has a, a, a worse effect on that child. One of the things you have to do is to say, you know what? I'm going to have a united front and be able to say that we're going to stand together in this. You know, one of the hardest things of being a grandfather is, is when your grandchild is getting spanked by your son. The other day, not the other day, it was a while back, I went bowling with my sons and we went and so I had to go to the restroom and I, I saw that my son had taken my grandson to the restroom and he's talking into the stall. And I've had that many times when I was a, a father and he's, what did I tell you? And he's yelling and I'm like that and I'm like, 
Man, you know, I, you know what I wanted to say? Hey, man, take it easy, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want to be an overbearing dad. So I shut my mouth. Grandma and Grandpa. Yeah, let me say this. This is for the grandparents. If you're a grandparent here, you gotta let your kids spank their kids. Let them be the parent. I learned, I'm saying, I'm not the parent. I'm not the parent. So I let him do that. And I even told him, I said, you know, he goes, Dad, what are you talking about? I said, I, said, I didn't say nothing, but I, was, I thought it was funny. Because in myself, I wanted to step in for my grandson, but I knew if I did that, I'd undermine my son's authority with his son. Yeah. I said, I'm not going to do that. I'll let him do that. He's being the father that he's supposed to be. And I'm going to say that when you do that, you have to be on the same page. You know, there's a term called let's agree to disagree. You can disagree with your spouse. It's okay. You don't always have to be in agreement, guys. You can be totally believing totally different things. You can totally say, I don't agree with you. And that's okay. But you don't have to blow up the whole house to make it happen. <laughs> right? You don't have to make your point. I've seen people where they'll blow up the whole thing because they want to be right. Sometimes you may be right. But it does not need to cost your whole family. Sometimes your wife's right, bro. How many honest bro that you, the men say the darndest things? And they'll say something not knowing it, and their wife says, why did you say that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I should have done that. But it, 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 was, was I ever always like that? Well, my wife, one time I'd be preaching, and she would say something to me, and she'd be, like, critical of my preaching. Hey, you know, you shouldn't say that. And I, I wish I would tell you. Oh, I was like, yes, yes, sister. Tell me what I need to <laughs> Bring it on. I, I'd be, no, I'd be like, whatever. What are you talking about? They love my preaching. <laughs> and I found out, uh, you know, I realized over the years I had this, okay, you're right. But many times we don't want to be, we, we want to be right. And in being right, we become what I call we have no harmony. Sometimes in harmony doesn't mean that one person's right and one person's wrong. It just means that we're gonna keep going in the same direction, we're on the same page. And though I may not agree with what you're doing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay in unity with you. Because I'm telling you what the devil would love to do is to separate you and your husband and make you have disunity, and no harmony in the home. And listen, he'll use your kids. He'll use your son or your daughter to put a wedge between you and your husband. You, let me say this. You better be, right now, making it. Some of you, you, you have babies. Some of you have been married for a month. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's very cute, your babies, right? You know? Be married for a long period of time. A long period of time. A long period of time you're gonna to have to make a point up and say you know what I'm not gonna allow my children to put a wedge between me and my husband because one day your little mijito your little mijita is gonna leave the house and guess who will be there just you and your husband or your wife you've ever developed a relationship that's not just based and anchored to the children See, the truth is, your marriage is the anchor. It's the foundation. Your kids are not the foundation. If your marriage is the foundation, it's you're going to go through some things, but it will withstand. But if you allow the son or the daughter to come in, and you know what they do, they don't even know it. I'm not saying your kids are demon-possessed. 
<laughs> but I do say that parts of their personality can be demon-possessed. <laughs> See, the devil wants to penetrate a united front. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.12, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can't withstand him. And a threefold cord is that quickly broken. You ever seen a rope before? That's what it's saying. You get a rope. The stronger the rope is more the cord. In other words, as you begin to twine the rope, the more twines it has, the stronger that rope becomes. That's easy. Same thing with a chain, whatever it is. It becomes stronger. See, when the whole family is in unity, this is why when Paul's writing uh, to the church and he's telling them, if you're going to put any man to leadership, make sure that the husband is the head and the wife is submitted under him and the children are well behaved. All he's saying is, look, it's not that it's going to be perfect. That's going to be a well-balanced home. So guess what? If it's a well-balanced home, it's a home that's in harmony. And if it's in harmony, the blessing would begin to help. And guess what? The devil can't penetrate your marriage. You're going to have to learn something in, in being married for a long period of time and raising kids. You got to say, you know what? We're together in this. So I ask you a question. Who, I, I think the, the, the longest, you guys have been married 21 years? 24 years. That's a long time. We, me and my wife are going to be 30 years next year. Let me ask you a question. 10 years from now, I want you to think about that. Some of you are pregnant. Let's go even better than that. Let's put 20 years from that. That baby will be 20 years old. You will be, almost some of you in your 50s, some of you in your 60s. Who will you be then? Saddest thing, I have to pray for women. Over the years, they come, they ask me to pray for them. I look at their lives and they're miserable. You don't want to be miserable. Down the road, you don't want to be in your marriage 20 years down the road. You want to have joy. You know what's the greatest thing being married uh, 29 years and being 47? Me and my wife. Just, man, we get to have fun, man. <laughs> I got no. I, I feel sorry for your parents, man. You know, Pastor Gamboa, I know he did the marriage last year. I pray. I always call him Father Abraham because he's so old, right? And he has kids, right? <laughs> I mess with him all the time. I say, man. I feel bad for you, bro. He goes, why? Well, he goes, kids. Yeah, man, I, I look at the parents now. You guys that have little kids. You're there. You're backpack. You got, it's like you guys are going into full war. You know what I mean? You got the milk like here, like, like leche here. And you got this here. And you get your backpack. You got, you got the diaper bag on. Yes, we do. And we're going, oh, we got to go. We got to go to church. And it's like a 30 minute, an hour thing just to get to church. I don't miss those days. Now, remember? You know, you, and I did those things. I said, I don't miss any. That's a good thing about having nine kids. All of them help you. All right, get your brother. Get this. Get your sister. Let's go. We're door directors with nine kids. We got them. How do you do it? Well, there's a point where they just take care of themselves, you know? Yeah. I can tell you stories where I left the kids in the van. Amen. One time, it was one o'clock in the morning. I'm there, and all of a sudden, I hear a, he said, somebody's at the door. What? So I go out there, and I say, who is it? And it's my two-year-old son. He was. And I left him in the van. Hey, don't judge me. Give me nine kids. Let's see what you do. I, I love to tell you that was the only time. We take off one time. We're on a fellowship. We're there at Buffalo Wild Wing. We're just talking, and I'm like, "Hey, where's Raven?" 
What? No, where's Bond? I thought you had Bond. What do you mean, Bond? Oh my God, we left him at the nursery. <laughs> I went in there and you sleep on the nursery floor. Hey, that's the, the blessing of pioneering, guys. <laughs> I got him, it's okay. Thank God he didn't walk out. You know? <laughs> but that's the beauty of having you not in front, knowing this, guys. When you're together, you're going to work out your marriage. You're saying, look, we're going to do this together. That when the kids leave the house, our relationship's not going to be as strange. It's going to get better. In other words, I like to use is gooder. I don't know if that's good English, but I want my marriage to be gooder and gooder and gooder. And I tell you one thing, I love the fact that me and my wife can get up. If you want, hey, let's go get something to eat. I'm not to worry about nothing. Let's go. And when the grandkids come, I'm like, oh, man. You guys have been here for two hours. It's time for you guys to go. <laughs> beautiful thing in being a grandpa. You just go drop them off at, at, at their house. I got to, grandpa's got to take a nap. Amen. I want to end with this. Putting it in God's hands. Because listen. I said all of this to say this. You can do all these things right. And you will still have shortcomings. Did I spank my kids too much? Probably. Did I not spank him what I should have? Probably. Was I the best husband I could have been? Probably not. Did I say the darndest thing? Probably have. That's the truth, guys. That's marriage. It ain't perfection. You think they had a perfect marriage in the Old Testament? Just read the story, man. They were pretty bad, too. That gives me hope. Yeah. <laughs> that they weren't the greatest. But they did have one thing in common. So they put things in God's hands. And you say, Pastor, how do we even think about that? It's like the story of Moses when he was born. His mother realized that they were sacrificing all this in the male children. She goes, puts them in the river, and says, God, I put you, I put my children in your hands. Because let me say something. You're not promised that your kids are all going to serve God. I hope they do. I really do pray for them. I, I want your kids to serve God. I'm not speaking that, but the reality is this, guys. As we get older, our kids are going to make their own choices and their own decisions. They just guard. And that's okay. You can never lose hope for your kids. You know one of the prayers I pray for my children? Thank you, Father God, for saving my children, even though some of them are not saved. I still thank Him in advance. Because it helps me keep my, my faith that, God, you can still move upon my children. Yes, Never lose hope for them. So when you put in God's hand, it's pretty much saying this, I'm trusting you, God, with the results. Sis, let me help you. I know some sisters here are not digging what I'm saying. And you're saying to yourself some things. You have to pray for your husband. you got to put him in God's hands. It's God that does the work. I'll be honest, you know, I thank God that, you know, I've been serving God for so long, but I thank God for a wife that begins to pray. And begin to think about this, is when you do that, you put God in the center of your family. He's the balance, right? Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment you should do? He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, and all thy soul. And what he's saying is this, put God in the center, and everything else will balance itself out. But if God is not the center... If he is not the foundation, if he is not the root, it's going to be very difficult. You can't put your kid in the center. Right? If your kid is the center, 
I, man, I've seen parents that put their kids in the set. They'll do whatever they can. I will die for my kids. That's great. But that kid's going to get 18 and leave the house. It should be something different. God should be the center of your marriage. God should be the center of your family. Until this day, my kids, they have an anchor because God is the great equalizer. You know, God equalizes everything out. He buffers everything. There's times where I'm getting too much and neglecting. Any husband here ever done that before? You can be honest. You ever done too much? Because that's the way we are. You could be honest. You don't have to be honest. You're not like me. <laughs> then you're lying. But uh, <laughs> we can all be like that. Sometimes your wife will tell you, you know, you need to spend more time with the kids. You need to say something. But the truth is, it's better when God gets involved. And God reveals it to your husband. He is the equalizer. See, I want to say something here. Your family is not an accident. Your marriage is not an accident. You know, one word, to, if you can get anything out of this whole sermon, is this. Make a promise to God. I'm going to have you make this. Never see, say the words, I'm leaving. It's over. I want to get a divorce. I'm tired. That's it. You ever had that, those words come out your mouth? That's done. That's it. Done. 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 You never said that before? And she's like, no. <laughs> but I'm going to say something here. Bro, you, let me say this. Say it. <laughs> I've been doing this a long time now. Save almost same amount as I've been, been married. I have seen where a husband keeps becoming aloof, keeps going up and down. And when he wants to pull his wife back, he can't. Why? Because he wasn't steady. See, I'm saying that to say this. Your marriage and your family is not a mistake. It's not by mere accident. God is in charge of all this. He's in charge. That's what the idea of putting God in the middle, that you trust God with your marriage. This is what the Bible says. Look at Abraham and Sarah. Genesis 17, 18. Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. That God said, So no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son. And you should call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, for everlasting covenant, and with the descendants after him. Here's Abraham. He wants to say, you know what? Not with my wife Sarah. It can't happen. What about Hagar? And God says, no. I told you what the promise would come. It would come through your wife, not Hagar. Hagar is a picture of our hands trying to manipulate God. And God says, no, I'm going to use your wife. Let me say something. It's you, both of you. Can't do without your wife. You can't do without your husband. And God says, I chose you since the beginning of time that you would fulfill my calling, fulfill the will of God. And it's in a couple. It's a family. Because it was not Abraham and Sarah. It was actually Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. Family. And God says, I put that together. Think about this. There was a man who had a grandson who was eight years old. And he says, you know what? He now his family gathering that he goes, 
He says this, one of the grandsons about eight years old, he announced at a family gathering that I treat my wife like a queen. So the eight-year-old said, you treat like your, you treat grandma like a queen. So I puffed myself up and asked a question expecting the answer it would give me a similar stature. Uh, uh, and he goes, no, since I treat her like a queen, what does that make me? This is the grandfather telling me, the little grandson, he says, well, that makes you a servant. <laughs> what does that mean? That's true though, isn't it? I thought about this. You know what the greatest thing you can give your kids? All the husbands here. You know the greatest thing you can give your, your, your grandson or your grandkids? Is that you love their mother. But they know that you love their mother. That's it. You may be able to spend all the time with them. You may be able to go and, and do all the things, go take them fishing. There's something about security to a child you know, that my father loves my mother. I know. You know why I know that? Because my own kids. They're not saved, but they always use me as a reference. They always talk to me. They, even my son, the, the leader of all my sons, because he's the oldest, always makes it a point to tell him, he goes, Dad, I thank God that you love my mother. As difficult as she is. That's not my word, that's his word to say. <laughs> not that she's difficult, but what my son doesn't understand is that making a commitment to God is making a commitment to your wife. When your kids know that you love their mother, there's no better security than that. I end this story, I'll let you go. I thought about accidents, right? Because you, some of you, sometimes you go through times of, you're going to go through times of weariness, right? Where you think, God, this is not God, you know. I don't know what's going on here because you're going through something. But I thought about it. You know that I met my wife at 16. She was 17. And you know how I met her? My aunt, Blanc, I'm sorry, Diana, uh, came down with leukemia cancer at University Hospital. She happens to go that day. And she's there in the hospital. We all go as a family. And we're 16 years old. In summer, I come over there. I sit down. And I see this young black skinny girl come in. We're in all white. Amen. In a ponytail. That's my wife. With a little, little baby. Goes, goes and sits down next to me. Why are you looking at me? You know, she's telling me. <laughs> I said, well, you look like someone I knew. I, you went to a Marshall. And, and, and after that, we just started talking. And I thought about years down the road, who would ever think that, that my aunt getting cancer, who actually got healed, we meet inside that emergency room, 29, actually, that was <laughs> 31 years. 31 years later, I still be with the same woman. In the will of God, doing the will of God, God changing lives. Why? Because God is involved. Yes. One of the most comforting things as me as a pastor is that God is involved with your marriage. He's involved. He wants to come down and touch your marriage. He wants to touch your kids. He wants to help them all. He's involved. But you got to say, God, I open myself up. I give them to you. I live, I, you know, I, I, I don't have all the answers, but I trust you. I trust you with my kids and my spouse that you'll do the right thing and you'll help me. I like everybody about the records. Maybe you're here right now, God's speaking to you. Maybe you hear God is dealing with your heart. 
you're saying, Pastor, you know what? I'm not right with God. Maybe you're here. You're not saved. You're not right with God. You come to church, but maybe you're backslidden in your heart. Say, Pastor, I want to get my heart right. That's you. I want you to raise your hand. Anybody that's from Pastor, I'm not saved. I'm not right with God. God sees that hand. He can put it down. Anyone else? I'm backslidden. I want to get my heart right. You can raise your hand. Anyone else? Amen. If you raise your hand, you can pray. I want to say a prayer with you. Say, Father God, forgive me. If I have a backslidden heart, help me to stay within your will. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me with your precious blood that I will continue in your grace and your mercy. Amen. And maybe you're here right now. I changed the order of the service. God's speaking to you. And there is a part of you saying, you know what? I'm going to have to trust God with my family, with my kids, and with my wife or my husband. That God is involved. He is involved. Your marriage is not an accident. It's not because you had a baby out of wedlock or we had to get married. If you think that, God has bigger plans for you and I. The Bible says that you're his workmanship or his masterpiece. That he created you long ago to do his will and to fulfill good works. Maybe if God has spoken to you, these altars are open. You can come pray or you can pray in your chair. Let's pray. Let's lay hold of God as you're there. As these altars are open, you can come pray. Amen. Oh, like you to grab your, your wife's hand and I want to pray with you and what I want to pray for is this guys I'm, I, there's two things I could tell you I didn't put this in my sermon but maybe this is a word God wants to speak to some of you I, I gotta say this to the sisters right sister you gotta learn how to forgive her you gotta learn how to forgive her. it's funny in the Bible it says uh, likewise dwell with your wife with understanding and wives forgive you know forgive with your husband it actually says that, right? Because women have a tendency to hold on to resent their husbands, right? Because, you know, they're knuckleheads at times. You know, that's okay. God's using him. 
But you got to learn as a wife to be allowed to forgive him. Right? And husbands, they, they don't hold bitterness, but what they begin to do is resent their wives. That's what they do. They may not say, I don't forgive, but they begin to resent them. And one of the best things about a marriage retreat, never let this get old, that it makes you begin to face each other without the, all the distractions of kids. These kids can become a distraction. You can be so busy just being with the kids that you just don't have time with each other. You know one of the things I love now is being older and not having the kids? Is that me and my wife get to talk and discuss. And we talk about the ministry. As we get older, we just, we're constantly talking about the ministry and things. And, you know, and, and sometimes you got to talk about things that are touchy, but the fact is we have a relationship. And as you get older, and you're going to get older, guys, and it will come like that, is that you always say we're going to keep forgiving each other. And we're going to keep keeping God in the center of our marriage. Whatever happens, we're going to make, make an effort in our marriage. And our kids are not going to be the stabilizing foundation in our, in our family. We, Jesus is our foundation. Our marriage is our foundation. Our kids are the fruit of our, of our union. And you cultivate them. You take care of them. You steward them. But you Listen, this right here, the person that's right next to you, that's who you need to steward. That's the most important relationship down the road. Because when your kids leave, it just be you and him. You and her. You gotta work on that relationship. I tell you this, you guys all talked about yours. I tell you that thank God for my wife. I can tell you that, but I'll get very emotional and start crying. You know what I'm gonna start crying. But the truth is, I've learned over the years that I thank God for a wife that is stuck by my side. But honestly, is that we're on the same page. And that we always work together. And, and that she has no problem telling me when she's sorry. Or I have no problem telling her when I'm sorry. That we can get our heart right. And that helps our relationship over the years. Keep that. Okay, so I want to pray for you guys. I'll let you guys go. I want you to say this prayer. Let's say, Father God, Father I, God. Ask you, I ask you, help us, help us to make a union, make a union at, this point, at this point. To be a united front. To be, united front, to be in sync. To, be in sync, to have a steady hand. To have, to have an ability to discipline, to discipline and to spare, and to spare our, children. our children. But I ask you I ask that you would be you the, center the center of our marriage, of our marriage. and that we trust you trust with our children trust and our marriage. Our marriage. And, we and we know that our marriage, our marriage is not an accident. Not an accident. It, is it is your will and your will shall be done. And in Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin to pray. Father God, I pray that you turn to me and help. Lord, that you begin to lead me and God. Lord, that you begin to lead me and God. Lord, that you begin sisters here, I just want to say to you, um, open your heart. God can heal the wounds of the past. If any person that can heal the wounds of the past is Jesus. I know that you may have been hurt, but there's no, there's no power. There's nothing like the power of Jesus that can come into your marriage. And there's sisters here, you have some deep wounds. Jesus can heal those scars. It's through his blood. He died on that cross that you can appropriate 
All, he says, by, by my wounds, you're healed. He's not just talking about sickness. He's talking about spiritual wounds that you have in your heart. And Jesus wants to heal those wounds. And he will. Just say, Jesus, touch my heart. And if you'll do that, God will begin to help you. Get over it.